0: Please open your Bibles to John chapter 9, John chapter 9, as we continue our study, where Jesus heals the man born blind. Thus far from chapter 9, we have covered the cause of spiritual blindness, which is sin, and the effects of spiritual blindness on the lives of people. We understand that this man was born blind physically. He represents the fact that sinners are born blind spiritually. Christ heals this man by opening his eyes, giving him sight physically, and also, more importantly, As we are taught in chapter 9, he heals the man's spiritual blindness as well. Then in the second sermon, two weeks ago, we studied the question of afflictions, the whys of affliction. Why do afflictions take place? And then the world's response to affliction. The reasons for affliction and how we are to glory, give God glory in affliction. And then the hope. Above all affliction. Seven miracles in the Gospel of John. When Jesus turned water into wine. He healed the nobleman's son. The healing of the lame man at the pool. The feeding of the multitude. And when Jesus walked on water, healing the man born blind, as we're studying now. And then later on in the Gospel, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. All of these teach us something about the nature of salvation that Jesus gives. Also, at the end of the Gospel of John, towards the end of chapter 20, it says, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let us read these verses, just verse 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This is Jesus saw the man born blind from birth. This is right after the temple incident where the Jews were going to stone him. And Jesus departed... Hid himself and went out of the temple. But when his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was that so the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, Go, wash in a pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who's called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Lord, again, I ask for your help and I ask for the blessing from you and unction from on high to preach your word today for the glory of Christ. Amen. There's a reminder for us in verse 3, the reason that this man was born blind. Why was he there at this particular place, at this particular time? This was a divine appointment. Oftentimes we use that in our vernacular when we speak to someone of the things of the Lord. Or when God intervenes and he, he shows his hand in a situation, and we say that was a divine appointment or a divine encounter. Oh, this definitely was a divine appointment. Uh, Here he was, a blind man, and Jesus was right in his midst. He was blind, and Jesus gave him sight. His blindness was there in order that, the verse tells us, the works of God might be displayed in him. This blind man was outside the temple, outside the gate, outside the doors, unable to go in. Unable to go in and worship God, even if he wanted to. His situation is a picture of man. Man in his depravity, and man in his corruption and iniquities, blind spiritually. He was so close, but yet so far away. Even with Jesus right there in his midst. Jesus, the God-man, in the flesh. So close to the Savior, he was right there but spiritually so far away. Even though the Savior was within reach, the man in his sin could not see the Savior. Richard Phillips suggests, people might talk to the blind man about the colors of the rainbow, but he had no ability to understand. Likewise, the glories of Christ are beyond the comprehension of unregenerate sinners. So our first point for us this morning, the demonstration of direct deliverance. The demonstration of direct deliverance. We'll have uh, several points for us this morning, all beginning with the letter D. The demonstration of direct deliverance. Jesus spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes. Why did he do this? What's the story with this? The spit and the clay. Well, there are several suggestions, and I'll give you four of them. Well, in ancient Near East culture, some believed that saliva was helpful when applied in certain circumstances as a way of eye salve, or applied and it was some type of healing. Uh, It did some good, it was able to wash things away. You know, they used to spit on a rag and wipe something clean, like waxing a car or waxing something real quick. Um, When you were younger, perhaps, and you had dirt on your face, maybe your mom licked her thumb and wiped it off. That always grossed me out. It still does to this day, but that's beside the point. But Jesus may have used saliva, according to this particular view, to proclaim his greatness. The the culture said the saliva had had something to do, spit had something to do, so this is one position. And Jesus used saliva in other healings. Uh, In Mark chapter 7, I'll just read this for you. Healing of a deaf man who also has spoke with difficulties. Mark chapter 7, verse 33, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and the man was healed. And then uh, the blind man in Mark chapter 8, verse 23, taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the, the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, the man was healed. Yet with these two healings, Jesus did not use clay or did not use dirt. Speaking of clay, other theologians explain that the use of clay draws one attention back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it said, uh, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. See, nothing is wasted here. Calvin explains from this particular position, just as man was at first made of clay, so Christ used clay in restoring his eyes to show that he had the same power over a part of the body that the Father had exercised in creating the whole man. Or, some provide the perspective that the Lord spread the clay on the man's eyes to bring attention to his blindness, so that others would see this, and it drew attention to the man's, uh, to man's blindness, the man's condition, his ailment, his affliction, and drawing attention to his blindness so that when he was healed, it would be magnified and Jesus would be glorified. Also, the blind man could not see the mud on his eyes, but others could. And others around him could see the greater attention to what was just about to take place when he washed away the mud and he could see. We cannot be sure exactly why Jesus chose to do it this way, but we can be sure that it was so that the works of God might be glorified, or the works of God might be displayed, rather, in him. That we are certain of. We are also certain of, although this man was blind, he was about to be able to see as well. The emphasis is what Jesus told the man to do. And the fact that the man obeyed what Jesus said without hesitation. Not like the leper Naaman in the Old Testament who hesitated. If you remember the account, I'll just read it for you, reference it for you. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8 through 14. I'm just going to read that briefly, that account. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8. It happened when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naam, came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Nahum was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he he would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abinah and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash them in them and be clean? So he turned away in rage. He didn't want to listen to what he had to do to be clean. But then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, my father, had the prophet told you to do something, some great thing, you would not have done it. How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Imagine that. He hesitated, but eventually obeyed. Well, this man, Jesus, told him to do something. And he went and he obeyed immediately this divine direction. Our second point. This divine direction. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated "sent." So he went away and washed and came back seeing. He obeyed Christ. In order for you to see, go, wash. And the man did. Instructions given by the Lord. These weren't suggestions. He wasn't saying, well, maybe it'd be a good idea for you to go wash this off, by the way. No. Go, imperative. Wash, imperative. Act on your belief. Jesus gave the command to the man to follow, and the man followed and was healed. Parallels parallels of the responsibility of man to respond to the gospel call should not be missed here. He touches the man's eyes and says do this. The gospel message is to go to Christ. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Siloa means sent. It's a transliteration from the Hebrew, Siloa. In 701 B.C., Hezekiah had a tunnel built so that water from the Kidron Valley would be sent into the city. You can read about that in 2 Kings 20.20, 2 Chronicles 32.20. This is the same water that we are looking at here Also in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it reads, These people, speaking of the Jews, have rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh." And here in John, they're rejecting Jesus, the living water. John, the gospel writer, mentions the word sent for a reason here, for emphasis. Nothing is wasted. Jesus is the sent one. In John chapter 8, verse 16, The Father who sent me, says the Lord, in chapter 8, verse 18, the Father who sent me, he says, testifies about me. Chapter 8, verse 26, he who sent me is true. And in verse 29, he who sent me is with me. And in verse 42, for I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. The foundation Excuse me, one theologian says the, the fountain or the pool of Siloam daily reminded the Jews of the Christ who was to come. Yet when they saw him, when, they, when Jesus was there, they despised him. Consider how water has been used in the Gospel of John. I mentioned earlier, water into wine, new life. Water from the well. Remember the woman of Samaria who was there and Jesus was there at the well. And Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give shall never thirst again. And Jesus walked on water in chapter 6, demonstrating his supreme authority over all things. Supreme authority over, over the water. And in John 7, the Feast of Tabernacles, in this water-pouring ceremony, Jesus steps in right in the middle of it, and Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So we have the divine direction. Go to Jesus and be washed. And then we have the delightful and also doubtful responses delightful and doubtful responses. Look at verse 8. And I realize this late in the game that there is a few parties represented here, at least two. Look at verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. So there's at least two groups of people here, possibly more, the neighbors and those who saw him before. Neighbors who obviously would know where he lived and were close by. And then when they did go to the temple or they did go to the town, they would see him and say, oh, there's our neighbor begging again. There he is. And then those who did not live close to him also would see him day after day, week after week, year after year. And they'd say, oh, there there he is. I, I recognize him. We all possibly have seen something like this before. If we grew up in a particular place and we lived in a particular place for a long time and there may have been someone who was the, uh, the homeless person or someone who would always stand with a sign or someone who would always be out there uh, panhandling as, as we, we call it down in, in Florida. And you would recognize him day after day or her day after day and be like, oh, there they are again, they're at their spot or whatever it is. But here there's a man blind, and it's obvious he was blind. And here he is now having sight. And some were delightful. Is is this not the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, no, this is not. He, emphatic, no, but he is like him. Strong denial, no way. It's like his evil twin or something. You know, there's lookalikes. You see, and that person looks exactly like so and so. Exactly. Perhaps that's in the vernacular as well. I've, we've seen up here since we lived here two uh, Mike McGuire lookalikes. So it's been, uh, yeah, one was a biker and the other one was camping, and it looked it, we're like, wow, there's Mike. We just called him Mike because uh, he looked like Mike. So. Uh, so perhaps they saw him and some were saying, no, he just looks like him. He, he looks like that guy. Others were just downright denial. They would not accept that this miracle could take place. It's, it's just a lookalike. It's not him. He was, he's blind. There's no way he could be seen now. Some admitted this was the same man. Others... We know him as a blind beggar. Now he's walking around and able to see no way, no how. But the man was healed. And he kept saying, I am the one. It's me. I I am the one. Let's not miss the parallels here either. How could someone be changed so dramatically? He's like a different person. He's no longer going back and sitting near the temple or sitting at the corner and begging because he was blind before. Now he sees his life is forever changed. This is also a picture of conversion. This is also a picture of the response of the world around us when someone actually gets born again. When Jesus gives someone eyes to see and opens their eyes to the light of Christ, they are forever changed. Those who knew you before, before you were saved, will notice there is a complete change in you. It may take a little while, but they will know. This man living one day, one way, Jesus opens his eyes, and though he was blind, now he can see, and he lives absolutely and completely differently. When a genuine God-wrought work of conversion takes place in a sinner's life, it will be impossible to hide it from those around you, unless you are like the lamp and place yourself under the basket. It's not that you will be better than them. No, but you'll be different from them. And your life will be different from theirs. If you're here today and claim to be a Christian, claim to follow Jesus Christ, but you can hang out with friends of the world, co workers of the world, and go where they go and talk like they talk and laugh at the things that they laugh at, you must ask yourselves Am I a hypocrite, oh God? How could I laugh at these things anymore? How could I do these things anymore? The same professing Christians who would act just like the world, who they hang out with, and when they hang out with the world, are the same who would say, I don't need to really talk about Jesus. I just need to live my life before them. Now, on the other hand, for the true child of God, in the workplace, on the field, at the college, wherever it is, your life lived before them may be the only Bible they will ever see or read. So we are responsible to know the Word, to read the Word and live the life of one that has been changed by the Word. So that when people see our lives, it's not a contradiction to what we say, what we believe right here. Living our life uh, uh, and walking in holiness is not the same as preaching the Word of God, but it should not be a contradiction. It should go hand in hand. People should know that Jesus is our everything, that He is first and foremost in our lives. When Jesus invites a person into his kingdom and saves that person, they represent Jesus Christ. We who are Christians in here this morning, we live a life and we we go out and we represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because we're Christians, we're children of God. Some will see the change in one's life when they're converted, and they'll be drawn to discover, hey, what's this all about? You know, this person lived one way, and now they, they're, they're, they're talking about Jesus, and they're, they're reading their Bible, and they're talking about church. And what's this all about? And they may be interested, may be drawn to that. But others will say, and more often they'll say, not so fast. Give him time. He'll be back. He'll be back to the pig slop in no time. He'll be back with us. Just give him some time. Some will watch and wait like a vulture for you to fall, for you to get hurt in a church, for you to turn away from Christ. The lost world continues to deny the miracles of Christ. They surely deny the radical change that happens in one's life due to Christ. But they cannot ignore that something is different when someone is born again. A.W. Pink says, When one of their fellows is saved, they cannot deny that a radical change has taken place. Though the nature of it they are completely at loss to explain. They know not that the manifestation of Christ in the outward life of a quickened soul is due to Christ now dwelling within. Yet they are compelled to take note and indirectly acknowledge that regeneration is a real thing. End quote. A real thing, a real thing indeed. It's impossible for someone to encounter God in conversion and not be radically changed. Too often the gospel is presented, it's watered down in a way, it's an easy believism type, it's just say this and say that and you're you're converted. But when someone's born again, it is obvious. It's obvious to them, and it will be obvious to those around them. Some could hardly believe that this man who was born blind could now see. But it was beyond dispute, beyond dispute that he now had sight. Has it been beyond dispute to the world around us this past week, let's say, that we are following Jesus Christ, that we have been transformed by the power of God? So we have the demonstration of direct deliverance. Jesus heals the man born blind. A direct deliverance when someone is redeemed, when they are born again. And then we have the divine direction, go, wash. And then the responses sometimes are delightful. Oftentimes they're doubtful. And then we have here the man's responses. It's a distinct but a limited deposition. A distinct but limited deposition. Look at his response. Verse 9. He kept saying, I am the one. I am the one. I am the one. Well, I am the one what? They were asking him other questions. How how then were your eyes made open? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. And they asked him again, where is he? He said, I do not know. So he is saying, I'm the one, the man called Jesus, who he's never seen because he couldn't see previously. The man called Jesus made clay. He's not saying Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. He said, the man called Jesus. Obviously, he's heard about him before. And when they asked him further questions, he says, I I don't know. That's where he's at right now, but he grows pretty quickly. The man knew very little about Jesus, but he knew enough to know that Jesus had opened his eyes. His knowledge of Jesus, of who Jesus was, would grow. And when he found out who he was, in verse 36, or verse 35, I'll just jump there real quick. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And the Pharisees were right there because they responded as well. So consider this scenario. Consider this scene. Right now, he knows little about Jesus, but he knows, I was blind, but now I see in this man Jesus. Where is he now? I don't know, but I know that much. So don't shrink back to share the gospel. You say, I need to know more. This person is smarter than me. This person is this, or this person is that. Well, they know that God exists. They're rejecting God. You have the word of God. And that does not deny the responsibility we have to sanctify Christ as Lord in our heart and always be ready to give the defense of the hope that lies within us. And we need to know the scriptures so that we can be able to present the gospel to someone. We need to know the law of God. We need to know that and, and present to people uh, the Romans roads and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. But there's, uh, there's freedom in Christ and Christ can set you free. And when someone says, I'm, a, uh, I'm just a good person, good people go to heaven. Well, you run them through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied, stolen, looked with lust, which is adultery? And they admit to it. Well, they're a lying thief and adulterer at heart, and you're going to face God on Judgment Day. And then you say, go to Christ and be washed. Go to the one who went to the cross and be made clean. And Jesus gives commands to go and wash. He gives commands in the gospel to repent and believe. So this man knew very little, but what he knew, he knew. What do you think it looked like when he worshipped Christ in front of the Pharisees? He didn't care. When we read the, the, the account of people encountering Christ and knowing who he is, they fall down and worship. Perhaps this man fell on his knees. Perhaps this man went prostrate on the floor. He didn't shake Jesus' hand. Wow. No, this is the Messiah in his midst. This is the Lord. He says, uh, Who is he, Lord, that I may worship him? And he says, To you who's speaking to, to you, the one who is speaking to you is he. And he responds in worship. He didn't care what the rest of the people said, he didn't care what those who, who were uh, religious but without Christ said. Those who are dignified and they think that they know everything. No, he said, give me Jesus. This is you, Jesus. I worship you. Who cares what the world says? Who cares what the uh, religious hypocrites say? I follow Christ. How does Jesus give spiritual sight to the blind? Very simply, he opens their eyes. Isn't that amazing? The sovereign grace of God. We keep seeing it over and over again because the Bible teaches it over and over again. A blind man given sight, a picture of conversion. Those who are blind spiritually, Jesus opens their eyes and now they can see. Lazarus, a dead man. How does a spiritually dead man come to life? Well, Jesus calls him forth and he comes up and he is born again. The dead are raised to life dead in trespasses and sins, and he wakes people up and saves their soul. So what command does he give? Go, wash, repent, believe. Where is he? Well, he is not here. He has risen. And as mockers would say, well, where's the promise of his coming? Well, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It says in Second Peter chapter three, only know, only those who know Christ, who worship Him, are washed in His blood, and can truly sing, "Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe." Sin had left a crimson stain; He washed it white as snow. Let us pray and prepare our hearts for our brother with the. Brother given us the communion message. Lord, thank you that although we were blind, you have given us sight to see. Those in here who know Christ can say, I follow Jesus, come what may, I follow Jesus to the end. O Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind and hear even this morning. That they would see the riches of Christ. That they would acknowledge their sin. Acknowledge where they stand before you. And God, that they would turn to you through Christ. That they would repent and believe the gospel. believing that Jesus Christ went to the cross, the sinless Savior. He went to the cross and he bore the wrath of the Father and he paid the debt for sinners that sinners could never pay. He died on that cross and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And we await the return of our Lord. Prepare our hearts this morning, O Lord, and let us prepare them for the communion. In Jesus' name, amen.